Welcome to the Physiatry Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of physical medicine, rehabilitation, pain management, traumatic brain injury, and sports medicine, all in one. This is your host, Dr. Avinash Ramchandani. This is episode number four. This is a one part of two on anxiety. Part one will be about anxiety, chronic pain, its prevalence in the world. And part two is going to be a little bit about the history of anxiety and how it presents throughout the world, as well as talking a little bit about how we can prevent anxiety and how we can change the way we perceive anxiety and the things that actually make us feel anxious. But before we get into the main topic, I'm just going to let you know that I've changed the way I'm recording these podcasts. So you may have heard a little bit of a difference right now. I am using a different editor and some different equipment. Hopefully this works better for everybody and everybody can hear this quite well. Anxiety affects about 4% of the world's population or about 275 million people. This is almost the whole population of the United States. Now, when we think about anxiety or depression, depression definitely causes more disability as far as mental health, but anxiety is the number one mental health issue. 170 million female and 105 million males actually have anxiety. And this is a very common thing when we think about patients with chronic pain. Researchers have always thought that chronic pain, anxiety, and depression are all connected somehow. They thought that anxiety and depression actually cause some aspects of chronic pain. But in truth, there are biological, chemical, and neurochemical similarities to chronic pain, depression, and anxiety. So yes, anxiety is depressing, and depression, yes, can cause pain because of all these similarities. Treating anxiety and pain, or treating anxiety and depression, can help pain as well. So this may be some of the reasons why medications like duloxetine or Cymbalta can help anxiety, pain, and depression. Being a pain management physician, I see anxiety in my practice all the time. For example, I had a patient recently who had anxiety that was so bad that they were worried about everything in their life. They had one problem, but they were so worried about that one problem that they were so focused on that problem that they couldn't get off of it. And I think that problem was actually causing some of their anxiety. When Anxiety doesn't have to be coming from a psychogenic source. It could also be coming from the inside or have some innate cause. One of the organic causes of anxiety is low serotonin levels. This is actually a genetic disorder and it is prevalent in 10% of all patients. Insomnia is something else that can cause chronic anxiety. There are many things that affect sleep and anything that affects sleep can make people more anxious because guess what? They wake up in the night and then they start thinking about stuff and become more stressed and that causes more anxiety. Chronic pain can actually cause anxiety. And if you think about this, if someone has pain, uh, us in society, we really are scared of pain, especially in the United States. I feel like we are designed or we are our social system is designed so that we don't want to experience any pain. If you remember when you were a child and you were going to get some vaccinations, we'd always be so anxious to try to get these 
vaccinations that the anxiety to get the vaccination was worse than the actual vaccination. So chronic pain is the same way where we think about this pain so much that it actually causes the anxiety more than anything else. We may not think about this, but one of the things that can cause anxiety is actually spinal cord irritation. Spinal cord injury can cause the flight or fight system to be activated in the body. This would cause you to either run away from a bear or get scared when ants run up your legs or something ridiculous like that. How many of y'all just got scared by me just telling you about a bear running at you or ants coming up your legs? To me, the ants are actually scarier than that bear. In any case, what we call the spinal cord injury is actually dysautonomia, which means our autonomic system is not working right. If you have neck pain and somehow you feel like you're more anxious because of your neck pain, it may not just be the pain that's causing the anxiety, it may actually be more of the dysautonomia from something going on in the spinal cord. So if you have this issue, go get it checked. We're going to talk a little bit more about how we can treat anxiety long term. Have you ever told a person to just get over their anxieties? This really doesn't work and actually can make the person more anxious. Let me give you an example. I myself was very anxious of public speaking. Now I'm giving you this podcast. How did I get over it? I actually went into myself and said, it's no big deal. I'm going to do this. And guess what? I did it. It takes some will and effort to get through things and get through anxieties. There are other ways to do these things. I mean, psychiatrists and psychologists can offer something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which can be beneficial for many people, especially people that have anxiety or depression or even chronic pain. CBT has actually been shown to help with many things, including depression, and can be even better than many psychoactive medications. The focus of CBT is to help mental health by changing and challenging unhelpful cognitive distortions, which are like thoughts, behaviors, and attitudes. Now, this isn't going to work for everything. Of course, if someone has a medical problem like a serotonin issue or cervical spine stenosis, they're not going to get over it by just CBT. Yeah, that might help, but you may need a little bit more than that. Let's talk about recovery from chronic pain or recovery from injury. When we talk about recovery from injury, which was my topic in podcast number two, we talk about how patients recover from their injury by, you know, resting, relaxing, doing other things. But stress and anxiety actually can boost injury risk as well as increase time to recovery. There's evidence in patients as well as athletes that it takes longer for patients and athletes to recover from injury if they are more stressed and anxious about their injury. There's actually a study that showed athletes that had preseason anxiety actually had more chances of getting injured during the year. Have you ever thought about why dogs are not so anxious? It's because they don't think in words. When you don't have words, you don't have anxiety. So if someone can't think, they won't be anxious. There was a patient uh, named Lauren Marks. She has actually a podcast about her aphasia. When she was aphasic, she lost her language due to a brain injury. And she had no internal monologue, no thinking about the anxiety. She really was not anxious about anything because she couldn't think or couldn't speak 
in her own mind about her anxiety. So when someone is aphasic, they actually don't have any anxiety because they can't speak about it or they can't think about it. They can't think about it in words. When you think about it in that perspective, relaxation training and hypnosis, these things actually do help anxiety and have been proven to help anxiety. Hypnosis can actually help depression and anxiety as well as gastrointestinal distress by 71%. Now, when we think about these two things, how do they work? They may work simply by making you not think about things and making you essentially temporarily aphasic. This may be also how yoga works, how Mindfulness exercises may work as well. Exercise may also work in this way that we are not thinking about our anxiety because we are distracted and there are other things going on. Now, the Cochrane Collaboration reviewed 34 studies that compared exercise interventions with different control conditions for fibromyalgia. And what they thought about this is that aerobic exercise that increases respiratory fitness and heart fitness, improved the overall well-being physical function in patients with fibromyalgia. I think this is a case for chronic pain as well, although we have to be careful not to re-injure ourselves in chronic pain. There are many medications that can help with chronic pain, anxiety, as well as depression. Some of these medications include antidepressants. These medications do help with chronic pain, but they also help with anxiety. They also help with depression. It's important to remember that all these come from the same biological source, the same neurocognitive source. Therefore, they work together and the medicines also work on the same source. There are certain physical disorders that actually can come from anxiety. And I've seen in my chronic pain practice that many of our patients that have chronic pain also have anxiety. And we know, I, I talked a little bit about how these are related, but there are certain specific chronic pain syndromes that have a higher anxiety ratio or patients with a higher anxiety may have this uh, more in common. So one of the things is fibromyalgia. There is a large anxiety component to fibromyalgia. Patients with fibromyalgia oftentimes have irritable bowel syndrome, also have migraines that are also associated with it. Chronic widespread pain, which is just pain everywhere. I mean, this is not just fibromyalgia, but they just have pain everywhere. You touch them and they have pain. This is an anxiety provoked disorder for sure. There are also shingles, which happens when patients are more stressed. And yes, anxiety can cause more stress and stress can cause more anxiety. In any case, shingles can come from more stress. Diabetic peripheral neuropathic pain can occur with anxiety. Osteoarthritis, interestingly, patients, all patients may have some sort of arthritis. And if you look at 100 MRIs of a 70-year-old, you'll probably see the same repetitive issues in many of these patients. They may all have degenerative disc disease. They all may have disc bulges but not all of them may have pain. The vast majority of the people that have low back pain with these conditions likely also have anxiety or an anxiety component to their pain. 50% of older adults and 80% of elderly individuals actually have persistent pain, and this persistent pain causes more anxiety, which actually can cause central sensitization, which causes patients that have pain in certain areas to actually have pain all over and a certain 
trigger, maybe even just a touch or a massage or a simple bump may make these patients with chronic pain just suddenly jump through the roof or have even more pain. If you think you have anxiety, depression, or chronic pain, I definitely advise you to go see your primary care doctor or your psychiatrist or psychologist in order to get treated and get referred to the right places. Although this podcast is meant to give you some opinions and some ideas about pain management and physiatry, it is not meant to be the substitute for your primary care doctor or your psychiatrist or whatever professional you want to go see. I want to go into a little bit about how you can prevent yourself from having anxiety and what you can do for yourself to help anxiety. I know I've talked about some of the treatments, including exercising and seeing your physician or getting medications, but there are things that you can do yourself right at home to help your anxiety and to avoid the stress that you have from this anxiety. Remember, medication is not your only treatment. A couple things are very important. One is to make sure that you get up in the morning and exercise. Keep your body active. Three to five 30-minute workout sessions a week is very important to keep your body healthy, active, as well as your mind active and healthy. Let's talk about sleep. It is very important to get sleep. And I'm going to have a whole special on sleep at some point. But right now, I just want to talk about sleep a little bit. Doctors recommend about eight hours of sleep per night. The most important thing for sleep is to stick to a schedule. If you normally sleep at 10 o'clock, that means sleep at 10 o'clock. If you have a day or two that you get off, try to get back to your regular schedule so that you can sleep normally. Make sure your bed is comfy. Make sure your room's temperature is actually cool. Warm temperatures can be harder to sleep in. The other thing to make sure is that You should leave screens behind before you hit the hay. And what that means is that when you are reading or doing anything before you're going to sleep, make sure you're not watching TV. Make sure you're not looking at your phone. These things actually cause people to stay awake longer because of the blue light that comes from screens. And the blue light from screens actually emulates the sun. It is very important to try to avoid looking at screens before you go to sleep. I'd say the same thing when you get up, because when you get up and you look at a screen, it actually increases anxiety. You should get up, stretch, take it easy. Don't look at your screen. And then once you get settled for the morning, you can look at your screen, watch TV, whatever it needs to be done. But when you get up in the morning, make sure you have good thoughts in your mind. Let's talk about caffeine and alcohol. These are big things for sleep and actually very important for stress. It is important to decrease caffeine if you feel like you are stressed. Caffeine actually causes more anxiety and can cause anxiety to come into overdrive. Alcohol can do the same thing. Remember, coffee, soda are not the only things with caffeine. It can also be in some medications, chocolate, tea, and diet pills. CEOs and very successful business people actually set up time to just think. This is actually the same idea as keeping some time for your anxiety alone. So if you are an anxious person, setting out time to be anxious and to think about what is going on in your life and what you're anxious about and what the future is, is important. Right after you do that, you should stop thinking about it and quit thinking about your anxieties and start moving on with your life. Once you start and get it through your system, oftentimes you don't have anxiety anymore. 
For example, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, both very successful in their own rights, they spend about 10% of their time just thinking. This prevents them from having anxiety, and they also journal while they're thinking. They sit down and write about the things that they're thinking about so that in the future, they can reference them and not have anxiety about, oh, what was I thinking about then? On the same theme, one way to decrease anxiety is to breathe deeply. Breathing deeply actually makes the body signal to relax and not be anxious about anything. It actually tells your brain that, hey, we're okay. We can breathe deeply. We're not breathing short. We're not anxious. We're not scared of the bear around the corner. That's when you start breathing shallow and you start moving faster. So try to avoid that flight and fright response that we all have innately. Finally, the last two things I'll tell you is one, be boss of what you're thinking about. If you have any negative thoughts, stop thinking that way. Think positively. Positive thinking promotes positive energy. Being the boss of your own thoughts will allow you to become more positive and less negative during the day. Also probably allowing you to be more productive. Finally, one of the things that we work on in yoga and meditation practices is to focus on one part of the body tense that part of the body and then relax it. This is important to relax certain areas that are very tense in our bodies. There are guided meditation apps, including things like Headspace and Calm, which work and focus on mindfulness and self-awareness, which can be part of knowing which areas in your body are stressed out. I would recommend that if you are very tense and anxious, this could be one way to try to focus on getting better and doing well long term. I can't stress this enough. Anxiety can result in multiple other conditions. Anxiety can cause increased stress, which, which can in turn cause chances for heart attacks, autoimmune conditions, and even shingles. So stress is really important to reduce and anxiety is really important to reduce. Also, anxiety can cause depression, which can in turn cause chronic pain, which can also in turn cause suicidal behavior and suicidal thoughts and even psychological diagnoses. One of the biggest issues with physicians is their suicide rate and physicians and nurses and other healthcare providers have one of the highest suicide rates for any professions out there. I've been touched by this recently when a physician colleague of mine actually committed suicide himself. There are many more that commit suicide every day, and it is an unfortunate thing that physicians are so stressed and so depressed that they can commit suicide. You never think about this. I want to remind everybody that if you know anybody that is thinking about committing suicide or you yourself are thinking about committing suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 800-273-8255. Soon enough, there will be a new number, 988 if you or someone you know or someone you love needs help, make sure you call the suicide hotline at one of these numbers as soon as possible. Thank you again for listening today. And I'm sorry I'm ending this on a bitter note, but this is not the end of anxiety. We have a part two, which will talk a little bit more about global anxiety and how anxiety behaviors are going on throughout the world and how different people exhibit anxiety and how they feel anxiety and how these can actually become physical symptoms as well as their mental symptoms. 
So thank you for listening to the Physiatry Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about physical medicine, rehabilitation, pain management, traumatic brain injury, and sports medicine all in one. If you have any questions, please send me an email at info at painlessnx.com. Again, info at painlessnx.com. I hope that you've enjoyed our podcast today. I hope you send me an email or a comment or two. If you send me an email or a comment, I will address that in the podcast and quote you. Yes, I will quote you. We'll have some fun with that. Thank you. And I hope to see you next time. Again, this is Dr. Avinash Ramchandani signing off.